Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome to another edition of 1111 Talk Radio. I'm excited to have you here, and I'm hoping that we will dip and dive into a luscious conversation, one that is poetic because we are all living poetry. And life definitely can become our muse. It certainly does end up being our musing and is oftentimes quite amusing depending on the experience that is going on. Life can also hold a lot of heavy moments. And when we live from the neck up, We tend to stay in that range of confusion and conflict and trying to understand. We stay in those places of control and maneuvering and trying to make sense of things. But if we allow ourselves to drop below the neck, to deepen into the heart, and to even go further into the soul, there are whispers, there are messages, and there is a truth and a peace that can be found. It doesn't necessarily eliminate the messiness of being human, but it does reveal the beauty that exists alongside of it. It's often as if we tap into our body, we look further down into the heart, and we begin to see the many many tiny fissures and fractures that exist there from the passage of time through experience through expressions that have gone high and expressions that have gone low. And yet if we look really, really carefully, we discover that those tiny cracks are laden with gold. They have a wisdom. They have a beauty. And they are calling for us to excavate the golden nature that we are. I am delighted to have Gina Maza on 1111 Talk Radio today. She has released a beautiful book of poetry called Essential Astonishments, Poetic Reflections for Awakening. And within this beautiful book that she has stewarded and birthed are several other wonderful poets, Scott A. Terrell, Donna Knutson, Atul Renshode, Meredith Lowry, and Gershon Mitchell. Gina Mazza is a word provocateur and a creative muse. She is an award-winning journalist, poet, and author of four books in the personal growth category, and she runs a company where she helps other writers bring forth their creative expressions, particularly in spirituality, consciousness, and wellness. She is a ghostwriter, an editor, a publishing consultant, a book promoter, and a brander, but she is also a beautiful writer, and her own inward path led her around the world exploring all kinds of things which surely have allowed much of this voice to come through that she is is sharing. She says, Poetry may not say what the answer is. It has no desire to be that obvious, but the answers are there, inherent in the unwritten. It's not an intellectual exercise, rather a soul murmur through the body. Just hum along. If you don't know the lyrics, tap your foot to its rhythm. True wordplay is not about mastery, but rather fidelity. 
coming to a place of honesty with yourself, genuflecting when you feel the need to pause and ponder. It's a slow rush. Take your time and fly as high as you dare. Linger over the prose as if studying your face, reflected in a cool pond on a summer's day. Ripple with curiosity. Peer into the depths, not looking for anything necessarily. Just observe the curvature and subtle motion of thought waves as they break on the surface. Use your mind as the tool it is, an instrument for adhering meaning, a fine-toothed saw blade slicing through murkiness to reveal hidden roots in the mud, solid ground beneath fluidity. This is one of her poetic pieces from Essential Astonishments, Poetic Reflections for Awakening. Welcome, Gina, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you, Simran. That was a beautiful introduction, and thank you for inviting me on. And I just want to say that I am inspired and deeply resonate with your work and your writings as well. So it's such a pleasure to be in presence with you today. I'm really excited about it. Well, I am grateful. I love words. I find words to be like paint, and they can create so many things, but particularly can reveal emotion, reveal feeling, reveal inspiration, reveal heartbreak, reveal all the things of what it means to be human. And I think my lifelong quest has been my own humanity. And I find that poetry speaks not only to humanity, but it it has that sliver, that thread that connects us to our divinity. Talk a little bit about your experience of writing poetry and where you go and how you tap into that part. Because I do think a lot of individuals stay so stuck in their head, and many have forgotten how to even drop down to feel the messages that are trying to come through. Well... Essential Astonishments is really not a book that I ever intended to write. And <laughs> I say that because I really feel like at the time that I was in my own personal inquiry, um, this was the result of a prayer that I was asking at the time. And what I was asking was not an intention for myself, but rather, what would God have me do right now? What would he have me spend my time on and my acquired skills towards already knowing my soul mission, but wanting to go deeper into that? And it was really quite surprising when this poetry started to, um, it really started to come through me as a sort of dictation in the middle of the night. And I, I know a lot of people who are tapped into their creativity say that 3 a.m. is like the witching hour. <laughs> but that is exactly what happened. Uh, I would wake up at three o'clock and would just talk into my voice memo and fall back to sleep and then wake up and talk and fall back to sleep. And I like to describe that process as just an urn catching raindrops because I was very non-attached to the entire process didn't even really know what it was. I, wa I wasn't aware that it was poetry at that point. And it was just like I was taking dictation. Um, and it wasn't until months later that I transcribed all of those voice memos, which 
by the way, this went on every night for months. And mm. I put everything on a Word file and I sent it to uh, an author client of mine at the time. She has now since passed, but at the time she was um, an inspiration to me and was actually a poet laureate herself. So I sent her this file and I said, please just let me know what I have here. And she said, uh, it's poetry. And I said, well, I'm not a poet. And she said, honey, you are now. Mm -hmm. and she encouraged me to do something with it. And so um, it, that inspiration made me take it seriously because I've been teaching intuitive writing and channeling type writing uh, for a couple decades. And so this wasn't anything new to me and it wasn't anything that was extremely out of the ordinary. The only difference was that it, you know, I didn't feel it viscerally in my body. A lot of times when I'm doing intuitive writing, I get confirmation chills or some sort of sensation somatically. And this was not like that. And maybe because I was half asleep, you know, when it was happening, <laughs> I was waking up and falling back to sleep, but I didn't have any kind of visceral reaction to it. So it was distinct, distinctly different that way. Um, but once I actually took it seriously and read through everything that I had accumulated, I could see very easily how it broke apart into what eventually became a, po a book of poetry. I love how you open the book and there's a poem that's, I did it all for love. And it says, it is my hope that you will like this creation that I've created, God must have said, and that one day you will understand my motivation. I did it all for love. That is why any hate revolution leads nowhere but in the wrong direction. It defies my intention, and that disappoints me more than anything else I can imagine. And as I read through all of the poetry, yours and those that also are part of, of this creation, it's definitely something that touches the very pieces and parts of us. It, it moves into areas of love and truth and death and grief and home and ambition and all of these things that are very much the human experience. And I think that's the beauty of poetry. It gives words to people that sometimes they don't have the words for, but lets them have the confirmation, the feeling, or the sprinkling of truth or the raindrops in the urn, as you said, that allow them to feel seen in a way and heard. And that's what I felt as I read through the various poetry. Yeah, that's probably the, the greatest outcome I could wish and dream for is when someone says, it feels like you're speaking directly to me. And, and I think what people mean when they say that is that it is touching their soul. It's not necessarily um, touching the intellect. It's sort of bypassing the rational mind and going into a deeper space where we know our own truth, even if we haven't revealed it to anyone, uh, <laughs> even to ourselves. I think that poetry is just really powerful that way because it is using this apparatus of words, which we need as, as human beings, we need a language, but it's condensing it down into these nuggets of, of wisdom that really 
touch us on a deep level and at the same time can enter us because we are in this age where there's so much information being, you know, we're bombarded with information all the time. And, and so this particular genre of, um, of poetry, mystic poetry, which is short, you know, there's, there's not, you can read one line and it can sit with you for the entire day and it can really transform you or, or help you resolve a problem or help you enter a, a, a difficult conversation with a loved one. I mean, it has that power. It really is um, medicine. I think that mystic poetry is definitely along the realm of um, a, a form of uh, medicine, I guess as is the word that we ingest and are able to allow it to dissolve into us like a medicine would and and heal us. I mean, ultimately, that's what it does. That's very much how I describe my latest trilogy because so much of it came in the way that yours has has entered into the world as well. And the beauty of this is it not only touches our humanity, but it moves into so many of the global experiences that we are having right now. It's not a wonder that you've just received an award for this book because it can touch those places, especially when we're looking at war in different parts of the world. We're looking at soldiers that have been killed. We're looking at division and strife in the world and loss and all of these places that our, our hearts can end up having to bear the burden of, but yet our mind and our face wants to turn away. And so to me, poetry is that medicine. It is that place of pause in a too busy world to remind people of who they are and to, as you say, turn off the devices, open to any page, to dissolve into the flame of revelation while inviting these words to purify your senses and illuminate your heart. And that's a really powerful place to be. I'd love to touch on one of the themes in one of the poems, and the lines were, These days I look for simplicity, like the rain or words of grace and mercy, in poetry and scriptures, the sounds of children. Simplicity is a very powerful word, and it's a place that I think our souls are craving us to go in this great world of complexity. Talk a little bit about simplicity from that spirituality and consciousness place and how that became applied as you ventured past the channeling of this information into creating something that could go out in the world, but not letting the patterns, the behaviors, the uh, the professional you, the worker you, get involved and really let this come through in its purest form? Well, simplicity is a really big word in terms of this project and in terms of where we're at in the world in general, because I do feel like we are besieged by life sometimes. We need to pause, as you said in the introduction, and really step back and ask, <clears throat> and I guess that's where the title came from too, is like asking what is really essential. So it's this process of like shriving away all of the dross that we pick up as we go through life uh, just in, on a daily basis. 
And certainly the media and what's happening in the world is a big part of that as well. You know, we're, we're fed these narratives that keep us in fear. It's kind of like fuel that's put in our gas tank and we, we run on that and we need to step back and understand that, no, that's not real. That's, that's not really the real reality. It's that inner connection that allows us to really step back and go, okay, what, what is really happening here? What is important and what is not important? And what do I believe versus what I'm being told to believe? So that, that interconnection to source and to ourselves, that our own God self is, I think, the most essential thing that we can draw on, especially in these times. And you don't really get to that unless you simplify, unless, and I'm not talking about cleaning out your closet in your house, although that can be part of it too. I'm talking about really distilling down to your own essence of what is important to you and um, being able to connect in with that inner voice, which is which is the voice of God inside of us. So it's becoming really intimate with your own um, your own process. And again, we need we need to actively pursue that through meditation or taking walks in nature or journaling or sitting and talking with with a loved one, whatever that might be for you. It doesn't have to cost anything. You don't have to go anywhere to do these things. But to have these pauses in our day that allow us to recenter and again, reconnect back in with that, that sense of preciousness about um, the, the reverence of life, basically. And uh, to me, that is the simplification process. It's also from the spiritual perspective, a distilling down of the self, like a dissolution almost of the self, like stepping away from the ego and seeing that while that's a useful tool for us as humans, that's not really real either. It's being able to just expand beyond that and see um, the largesse of life, being able to see everything, not just what we want to see or what our ego tells us to see. And, and so again, you know, poetry is uh, a very effective means for stepping back and doing that. It can be your meditation, you know, simply in the morning, opening a book and reading a couple lines from a poem. Um, it can really mm. set your day a better course. Yeah, to be astonished. You say astonishment is the quintessence of life fully expressed, yet it is something we cannot will ourselves to feel, and that this is where poetry poetry, the epitome of wordplay, steps in and suspends us above the daily drift of ordinariness and alights that spark of awe. And I think that's very evident in a couple of lines of your poem, Speak Only of Splendor, where you write, Behold in your heart an appreciation for every living thing. That is the way of saints and sages, both of which you are. And we are in this time where we do have to rise above the murkiness of not only the, the world of darkness, but even our own shadows. Although those must be embraced and loved, we must come up for air. And it is that divine air, it is that rapture, it is that incandescence that we must allow ourselves to inhale before we dip back down. 
into being of the world again. So I very much see how you how you weave this story throughout the entire book and between the various contributors about life, about love, about the human experience, about rising higher, about embracing the global condition, and yet finding our humanity within that. Talk a little bit about the collaboration of bringing so many voices together and what really the common link was in terms of feeling, of expression, of soul, of the divinity that was coming together as one entity? Well, I can back up by starting with uh, what happened after this poetry came through, and which was happening in 2018 and 2019. And so uh, some of the poetry, much of the poetry, as you can see in the book, is about uh, war and division and uh, there's even a poem about a pandemic. Uh, there's things that hadn't happened yet. And so I didn't really have a context for a lot of it. And it, it kind of threw me for a loop because these are not topics that I would typically write about. It's it's not my normal. I'm not a, a um, political writer, a journalist. Uh, I don't do that kind of um, research. And so it was a little startling to me. I'm like, what is this? Why am I writing about uh, grief and death and Armageddon and things like this? And so because I felt that way, I kind of sat on the project for a couple of years. And again, I did what I only know to do when I'm in a quandary about anything is I turn within and I ask uh, the divine, again, what is it that you'll have me do? And uh, at that point, this information had been given to me. And so it was a logical next question to ask of, okay, so what do I do with it? And I started a, an Instagram account and, and I, it grew, it, it was incredible, grew from zero. I wasn't even on Instagram at that point. Zero to over 2000 followers in probably less than six months. And I knew I was onto something and I knew that this poetry was not for me. It was for everyone else. And in fact, people who don't read poetry, I feel like this book is for people who really aren't poetry lovers necessarily. And so when I went back into meditation and I was honest uh, with myself too, at that time I was involved in so many other projects, uh, work-related, and my own book felt like another item on my to-do list, and that was not a good feeling at all. And so when I asked this question of what should I do with it, the inspiration came through to connect with these five other people. And three of them didn't know me from Adam. I mean, they didn't know who I was. And I just had an inkling and an intuition that you know, based on looking at some of their writings that they had a common a commonality. We had a common sort of voice, not not voice, but themes, similar themes. And so I thought, oh wow, you know, 
God is really clever because he knows that I love to help other people write and publish. This is part of my life's work. And so he knew that I would get jazzed about being able to bring these other writer voices to the world, maybe even more than my own voice, because, you know, I've, I've been published many times over. So it wasn't so exciting to me to do that. And it was really the inspiration that I needed, you know, to to get it into book form. I was inundated with thousands of pages of poetry. These individuals who have collaborated with me are so gifted and so prolific that I had the pleasure of just sitting down with all the papers on the floor and just reading all of their content and seeing. I mean, this is part of my, I guess, a superpower that I have as a writer and an editor as I saw the themes emerge and it just kind of developed from there. I love what you shared about the pause, taking the time to step back and give it the space to unfold in the way that it needed to. Because we do live in a, a society that is so much about pushing and striving and gunning it and um, the hunger that exists within individuals to listen to that voice of the soul and to go according to its rhythm and its timing is a very powerful thing where we do become that thread and that conduit that not only supports us, but supports other people. When we come back from the break, I'd love to talk a little bit about that pause, but then also the flip side of what the ego can do to derail that pause or rush it or push it. And you have a poem that is in the book that is life is not ambition. And I'm gonna read the first little section of that. Life is not ambition. That is for fools who don't know what's really going on here. I once was one of them. I assumed the position, didn't think twice about it. Too busy reaching and climbing. The precipice was somewhat prescribed. All I had to do was make it there then I will have made it, or have made it, or so I was taught. Contemplate that bit of ambition and whether you in your own life are allowing for the pause, for something bigger than you to unfold. I urge you to get your copy of Essential Astonishments, Poetic Reflections for Awakening by Gina Maza and her contributing poets, Scott A. Terrell, Donna Knudsen, Atul Renshod, Meredith Lowry, and Gershon Mitchell. Once again, it's just won a beautiful award. And it is a book that, whether you are a poetry lover or you're someone that's never really read poetry, I think you'll find yourself in many of the passages. They're written in a beautiful prose that allows for you to place yourself, your own experience, your own life within the words, to find the resonance and the alignment of your experience and expression through the hearts and souls that found the words to express it. Again, uh, this is a book that goes into many of your own human experiences from love, truth, grief, death, presence, home, inwardness, and beauty and belonging to all of the places that are even on the outside, those that bring us to whole systems of change that encourage us to come to a place of honesty within ourselves and to prioritize what is essential. 
Once again, you can find out more about Gina Mazza and all of her work, her books, this particular book, Essential, Essential Astonishments, as well as if you're looking for ghostwriting, editing, publishing, or anything related to book promotion and branding. Go to GinaMazza.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-A-Z-Z-A.com. We'll be right back with more of Gina and Essential Astonishments right after these messages. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. And before we get back to Gina Maza and Essential Astonishments, I want to mention a couple of beautiful audiobooks that I have just narrated that uh, would be wonderful downloads for you. One is The Twelve Steps of Forgiveness by Paul Farini. He is one of my favorite authors. And this is definitely a book that will support you and yet also support our world. Forgiveness is such a powerful tool. And when we truly understand it and we take the steps for it, we free ourselves and we free the world. Another is Undaunted by Carolyn Baker. 
This is a powerful book about climate chaos, and more so from the perspective of what we can do internally, the steps that we can take to support ourselves and to support our youth in moving through the anxieties and the issues that are plaguing our time, but from a place of really seeing one another, human to human, and especially seeing ourselves and the fears that we might have, how to build the resilience to prosper, and how to serve our world in a way that we step into that word, greater and greater simplicity for more power, and not power for power's sake, power for love's sake. So definitely check those out, along with Leaving Faith, Finding Meaning, a beautiful memoir, and also my book, Conversations with the Universe, and Signs are both on Audible as well, so check those out. My guest today is Gina Mazza, and she is definitely someone who knows so much about writing and book editing, ghostwriting, and all of that, and it is what she does to support uh, many individuals in birthing their projects into the world, into getting them to their highest expression, so they really speak to the audience that is calling to them. And she has released a recent book with collaboration of some other poets that is titled Essential Astonishment. I want to share with you a poem of hers called Risk Being Torn to Pieces. If the truth is too bright, turn your back to the sun. Let it cast your shadow cell so you can face it, not run from it. You can't anyway. It will follow you everywhere. Trust yourself on this. Faith forward and look with a heart to see. No one need watch, just walk on. Go into the cavern you most fear about yourself and greet the lion. Risk being torn to pieces. It's going to be okay. I think that's the place in the world we need to embrace at this moment. Oh, to be astonished. I want to talk a little bit about ambition. As we closed out that last segment, we talked a little bit about ambition. And so often when we are striving for something and we are in that ambitious nature, we don't leave space to be astonished. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about releasing that ambition and moving into a space where you were open to being astonished and what that really means for you. Well, I love that you read that particular poem because I do feel that the best thing that we can each do for humanity in general is to work on our own uh, development of our own awareness and our own connection to ultimate truth. I think it's more important than ever that we do that. And yeah, astonishment to me is, you know, I, I can say that it sort of started when I was early on in my writer path and I discovered some of the ecstatic poets and was reading deeply into Rumi and Mirabai and, you know, the typical dead poet society. And it, I realized that there was this ability for words to sort of lift me to a higher space, not just creatively in my own writing, but just in my day. And and I was having that experience as well with certain books that I read. I was um, really into, and actually when he was still on earth, he was one of my mentors, but Dr. David Hawkins, who wrote Power Versus Force and many other books. And I remember having this experience of just reading the words and being astonished that 
first of all, that he was talking about these topics. And second of all, that he was reiterating what was happening to me personally on my spiritual progression, what was happening on my path. Um, when voices around me maybe were telling me that I was crazy, right? <laughs> but mm. this is so powerful. And one of the inspirations that I took was from the German poet Rilke <clears throat> in his book, Letters to a Young Poet. He talks about being patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and just living the questions. So it's not answering them because if you answer them you're not able to live them out but the point as he said and which I really resonated with and still do is that the point is to live everything to live the questions now to love the questions and to be astonished by every little thing that happens be an appreciation for what happens like you said earlier not just the the good stuff but the shadow the the dark, you know, being able to step into, um, as, as that po poem that you just read speaks to, being able to step into the cavern of your own darkness and, and face the lion and know that you might be torn to pieces, but it's okay because you will really just be leaving behind or letting go parts of yourself that just aren't necessary anymore because life is is about evolution. It's about always um, being open to the next thing. Now, having said that, it's not to be confused with ego or ambition, which is more outward facing. It's that's more of how we are in the world and how people perceive us and what we're known as or known by, you know, our titles or our successes and all of that is okay but if it's to the exclusion of not looking at things that are more unpleasant to look at or are more um you know we become comfortable in certain things and so we don't want them to change then it becomes problematic. And I think that that's a big part of what's happening in our world right now is you know we've become sort of distance from each other to the point where we're polarized because we're looking at something one way or the other and um, everybody wants what they want. Um, so there's a balance that I think we need to have where, again, as you mentioned before the break, to have these pauses where we step back and go, what is it that we really do want? And one of the poems in the book speaks to that as well is, what is it that we want? You know, we're creating it. And so let's be mindful of what we're putting our attention on, what we're putting our focus on, and what the outcome of it is going to be and why. Like, why do we want it? So I don't know if that answers the question, but... Um, that was beautiful. And I, I think that, you know, speaking to that lion in the cave, we all must face that part of us. I think it's part of our softening. We don't really know that we're touching the heart until we touch its softest, most tender and bruised places. And myself being someone that has written quite a bit, it's always been toward that softening. It's, it's wanting to touch the heart. It's wanting to go deeper. And I find that 
I have a writing that I have done what you've done. I've paused and, and kind of stood back and looked at it from a distance, not in a way to try to create it, but to really wait for it, to invite me in, to honor it, to hold it so sacredly. And yet at the same time, there's this feeling of being terrified to write what it wants me to write. And you write a poem called What is Home? And there are some lines in there that are so lovely. What is home but a sacred altar upon which to lay your head where all things make sense? There's no true refuge from this world, but there is the pious assemblage of a place that gives us rest. And then you go on later in the poem to say, Home in all your humility. Thank you for welcoming me. I prostrate myself at your threshold. And there is this place of home where we have to finally lay ourselves bare and come to the altar in our full innocence and in our full vulnerability. But so often for individuals, that can be so fearful to find the words to say something that oftentimes there's so much feeling that you don't know if you can put it into words. Did you come across that experience as you were putting any of this together or find that that's a place, a, an entryway and a doorway for why many people move into poetry? Well, I think that um, the exhilarating experience of writing that which you don't know that is arriving at your intuitive doorstep and you don't know what it is, can be terrifying. It can also be quite exhilarating. And I think it is important to know what our sort of end game is with that, because I think that's where we get tripped up. So for example, if, you know, and I deal with this all the time with writers that come to me and they say, I'm writing a book, but I'm really afraid to go here or go there or mention this person or or talk about that experience. And they basically trip themselves up before they even begin writing because they're thinking of all the things they can't say. And my encouragement to them is typically to just, just go there, just write it. You know, again, it's sort of reflected in the poem that you read earlier. No one need watch, you know, just, just do it yourself, write it for yourself. And write it with the idea that no one's ever going to see it except you and you can throw it in the fire if you want to but the process of writing itself is so cathartic it's a dose of medicine in itself that even if you do nothing with the writing you'll be transformed by the process of just taking it out of your emotional body and putting it onto the page and there's a lot of scientific research too about the pro that this process really does affect our physiology and our emotional body. Um, so that that's an important thing to remember as well as, and again, going back to what Rilke said, if you're terrified, feel the terror, you know, let, let everything happen to you. I think he says as well in another book, um, the beauty and the terror, let everything happen to you. It's, it's, it's going to, it's going to be okay. You know, this too shall pass. And that's the point. That's the point of 
being fully alive and being astonished is to appreciate and live the full spectrum of the human experience to feel it all, you know, and, and writing is a way of capturing that. And in book form, if it's something that's published or if you have a Substack or whatever form you're, you're publishing in, it can really be a healing tool for many other people as well, because we're all connected in our humanity. We all want the same thing. You know, we all want to be loved. We want to be acknowledged. And we all want to feel that sense of awe in life. And we can't, you know, as I say in the book description, that's not something that we can will ourselves to feel. You know, we, you, you don't wake up in the morning and go, okay, I want to feel bliss right now. Let's bring it on. No, we open to the potential for all the feelings to come towards us. And when they arrive, which is always a gift, when they arrive, we feel them fully, knowing that in the next minute or hour or day or month that we'll be on to something else because, again, this too shall pass. Mm. I know in the book that Scott A. Terrell, he writes about the salt of the sea and he's speaking about gratitude and the tears and all that we must be grateful for as we move through different things. It's a beautiful poem. And then Donna Kutzen writes about wisdom, and she talks about what would it be like to see wisdom worn as cloaks and rich woven shawls, threads of gratitude sewn into every glance with the bold spine of surrender pushing out the breath. They're both speaking to gratitude, and that has to be part of, I think, any process, but particularly the writing process as we're moving through both the challenging and that other side of the hero's journey where we have triumphed. Can you talk a little bit about the expression of gratitude throughout the book and what you're really wanting to help individuals do as they move through this intricate journey that you have created? Even looking at the table of contents, you can see that there's a journey that's being woven as individuals move through each of the passages. Gratitude is definitely the attitude that we should try to keep at the forefront of our mind during every day. And, and I always enter my meditation in the morning with a gratitude prayer. I mean, it's just the rote thing that I do now. I've been doing it for decades where I, I sit down in my meditation space and I just go through a litany of things that I'm grateful for. And it can be something as simple as that I have a fresh bagel on the counter. You know, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It just has to be an awareness. Again, that simplification of, of distilling down to uh, what it is that we, we do have and what we can be um, grateful for. And then you move into the the other types of gifts that, that you actually really so beautifully write about in your trilogy, I think you call them unorthodox blessings. Um, and some of these things are not things that we would welcome into our life necessarily, um, loss or, or grief or the dark night of the soul, all of these different types of experiences that we sort of hope to not have, but at the same time, they're so necessary for us to have. 
it is really all about gratitude because when you enter, I think of like my own personal life when I've been uh, going through my own dark night of the soul, being able to consciously walk through that process and know that this was happening. It's not like happening to me. It was happening for me. Just that process made it entirely different. The outcomes were different. The people in my life who were are witnessing me, my, my children, for example, I'm sure it had a very different outcome than if I sunk into, um, you know, rage or revenge or any of those kinds of things. Um, but to be grateful for what we're given, even if it's unpleasant, and to be an inquiry around it, you know, to not try to push it away, but again, to fully immerse in it and say, okay, what is this? What is, why, why is this happening to me? And how am I going to be walking through the experience? And who do I want to be on the other side of it? And I think gratitude is, is the, is the gateway, you know, that gets us from those lower emotions of um, anxiety or um, anger to a place of just acceptance, you know, acceptance for what is. And that is what brings peace, peace in the heart and peace on the planet, really. There's a series of poems by Atul Renshoed, and he speaks a lot to, I think, the the dark sphere of many experiences that are occurring globally. He says incumbent on each of us is to break free from the shackles of concepts and ideologies that no longer serve our inner awakening. And there is a, a part of us that, although we have to embrace and allow the external experiences that are taking place to crack us open, to find our own compassion, our love, our gratitude, our celebration, our depths and our heights, there's also this invitation to turn more and more within and find the highest place in us through traveling that road of darkness. Talk a little bit about some of the the social themes or the global themes that uh, are in the book that seemed to be touched upon by multiple of the poets. Well, I do think that the cracks are where the light gets in, and every poet in this book has had their own dark night of the soul. I think that's why I was called to reach out to them. And if you heard their stories, you would be amazed um, in some cases that they're even still here uh, on the planet, but they move through it and so eloquently open to inspiration. And again, some of them were writing already and some of them weren't at all. But again, you know, <laughs> you mentioned terror. I think that probably Scott was at first terrified when he started writing the poetry that was coming through him. Um, and, you know, he's an older gentleman who's an engineer, a mechanic. Um, and he, it was a very different kind of thing for him to happen in his life. But it was the thing that was meant to happen for him. And, and so everybody in the, in the book is basically writing about things that they've dealt with personally. The poetry that, I've included in the book was more about what was happening, what is happening planetarily. And again, I kind of resisted this at first because I didn't 
want to talk about these things and in some cases didn't even know what they were. Again, like I said, the pandemic has, hadn't happened yet. So I didn't know what it was even referring to at that point. But the themes are really about, um, you know, how do we move beyond this polarization that we've gotten ourselves into? And in fact, we're the only ones who can get us through it and out the other side of it. We created it, we can uncreate it, we can dissolve it and and evolve into something other than how we're doing things now. And I really do feel like the poems speak to what's happening with our humanity right now, that we are in this, what I call a cauldron, a massive cauldron of reconstruction. And again, there's a lot of people who have fear around that, around well, it's always been this way, so it should always be this way, but that's not how human evolution looks. It's really, again, tapping into those creative capacities and saying, ah, okay, we've created this in the past. What's new? What's new that we can create and, um, and be more relevant to uh, the human condition that we're in right now? And so I feel like that's a lot of what the other poets in the book are speaking about, too, is, um, you know, how to confront head on what's mm. happening in the world. And at the same time, you know, uh, again, have a have an appreciation for, OK, this is, you know, we, we signed up for this on some level, on a soul level. We signed up to be here now. And so what's to be done about that? You know, what is it again? What One of the poems speaks to what is mine to do? You know, what Meredith, Meredith Lowry writes, what would it take for you to open your shell just enough that your softest, most vulnerable self could let the ocean in to bathe and so gently move, move you with its eternally present tide? And Gershon Mitchell says, a force that can stir the vast wealth of human potential to positively affect the future, heal the wounded, realign souls make the world less ugly and draw us together in communion of our common labor. And you write, we tremble at every syllable as it pours forth into a chalice of delight. We drink in every curve and detail. Want to change the world? Pick up your pen. Dare to write the unspeakable. Let what needs to be known come to light. So many words that uh, are inspirational and enlightening and beautiful as you move through these different poems. Uh, the, the other poets are Jess Lovely, Scott A. Terrell, Donna Knudsen, Atul Renshoud, Meredith Lowry, Gershon Mitchell, and uh, also Gina Maza. So definitely pick up your copy of Essential Astonishments, Poetic Reflections for Awakening. We have just about 30 seconds left. Gina, is there anything else you'd like to add? I'll just quote Rilke again, again and again. Some people in the crowd wake up. They have no ground in the crowd and they emerge according to broader laws. They carry strange customs with them and demand room for bold gestures. The future speaks ruthlessly through them. What he's speaking about here is the, I feel right now, the light workers on the planet. And I want to just leave a message with them, speak to them directly and say, be brave, be brave, step up, do what you're here to do. It's, it is going to be okay. And we're going to uh, collectively make it so. And um, yeah, that, I think those are my parting words. 
Thank you, Gina, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Again, pick up your copy of Essential Astonishments, Poetic Reflections for Awakening. You can find out more at ginamaza.com, G-I-N-A-M-A-Z-Z-A.com. I look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, I am Simran. In love, of love, with love and as love, be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey. 